As we continue to contemplate the vision John recorded for us at the end of the Bible, it made me think about the world we started with, the one we read about in Genesis. I was thinking what it must have been life like for Adam and Eve banished from the garden. They are held as responsible, but we know that anyone, including us in their shoes, could have done the same or worse. Their consequence was to leave the only home they had ever known. The exquisite, stunning, perfect ecosystem of the garden. And when I think about that place, I think about the lushness of flowers and plants and trees and God's creatures frolicking together and playing harmoniously. And all of their needs are met. And when they had to leave, what they lost was irreplaceable. And in the words of our 20-somethings, they had to learn to adult for the first time. Out there in a world where they had to find their own way and earn their own keep. And we wonder, did they miss the incredible beauty and ease of their life? Undoubtedly. But I wonder if what they didn't miss more was the presence of God himself. Every day they had been able to share life and just simply be with their eternal creator. They got to learn directly from him and experience the bounty of his love. What a picture of enjoying the world, being close with nothing to hide, and a life-giving relationship. The garden was great, but connection with God, that was the source of their contentment and peace. But yet they wanted more. They wanted more than that, what they couldn't have. That will preach. And then the story of the rest of the Bible is just God inviting us back into that life. Because we have a longing for God. We're made to know him and be in his presence forever. That's why we, we chafe against life here. Because it doesn't fit. We're not meant to live in the brokenness. We're meant to live in the life-giving, nurturing presence of the Lord that that just pours over love, who, f- who formed us and gives us our worth and identity. Blaise Pascal, the 17th century mathematician, scientist, and theologian famously taught us in his last work, Pensee, how there's a God-shaped vacuum inside of all of us. And we try to fill our souls with anything but the Lord. It causes us to feel more empty, more alone. <laughs> And the entire context of uh, what Pascal writes about is is so golden, and I encourage you to read it. But here's a a quote from, from it, from that work. So while the present never satisfies us, experience deceives us and leads us on from one misfortune to another. Read that drama Until death comes as the ultimate and eternal climax. What else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim? But that there was once in humans a true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. So this we try in vain to fill with everything around us, seeking in things that are not there, the help 
We cannot find in those that are, though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, God himself. Hmm. See, when God made the original earth and heaven, death was not part of the created order. It's not like day seven there was death. It wasn't in there. We're not made to die. We're made to live. So we begin in a perfect garden with a perfect God as the steadfast, constant companion. And then estranged from him, we're still meant to live and thrive in him. And the Bible is about the many avenues that were given to us because God fiercely loves us to come back to him. And this Easter season, we're celebrating the ultimate way that Jesus offers left. And the original way that we're made is pertinent today as we read about the end because we're talking again about heaven. So Revelation 21, 1 through 6. And as I read, feel free to close your eyes and imagine this scene I don't want to put up a picture. I want you to imagine what the Holy Spirit brings to mind. John says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See? The home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See? I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. And then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Let us pray. Oh God, may we drink deeply of your well today. Lord, the well of life. We are so thirsty. And yet, Lord, there is only one that really satisfies us. And you have a name, Jesus. So God, meet us, Lord, in these, these words today. Amen. A lot has happened since we last were in Revelation just last week. The lectionary takes us from chapter 7 to chapter 21. Mostly it's been about the final destruction of earth, as well as the plagues and the woes on those to the very end will not honor God, will not bow down. There are shocking images of beasts and satanic prophets, bowls filled with wrath poured out upon the earth, some of which is hard to understand. Much would be overwhelming if we saw it on a big screen, much less in person. In chapter 18, an angel comes describing how Babylon has fallen and God is worshipped. And the evil one is thrown into a pit in the final battle 
ends kind of before it's begun. And the dead are judged according to their works, and those who do not trust the Lord are banished. It's a long and protracted siege, and I get it why we don't want to read Revelation. But it's important that we read it because we can't like pretend that it's not there. The vanquishing of the forces of darkness is necessary for the culmination that is needs to happen for the new heaven and earth. We want the new heaven and earth, but all of this stuff has to happen first. So now we have a sensational new heaven and earth, and it's a funny thing because as a pastor, I'm not joking you. People have said this to me. People will say, instead of kind of reading this and saying, wow, this is magnificent and amazing, they'll say, well, why do we need a new one? The old one is fine. Why does it have to be a city, Pastor? I really like nature. I'm not joking you. I can't make this stuff up. The most famous one is this. Wait, there's no sea. There's no ocean. How am I going to surf? Man, people are never happy. So God's handiwork, which is more beautiful and more than we could ever hope for, is adorned like a bride for her husband. This is a metaphor most cultures can understand because there's always a lot of money and time spent for the bride to be the most beautiful on the big day of a wedding. And so on the grand day of unveiling the new Jerusalem, God has prepared carefully and spared nothing. So as we've been talking about, the most important aspect of this vision is how God is going to live permanently with those who love him. The Lord dwells where we are, not the other way around, in a space where everything will be new. Our friend Tammy Lashley, who's celebrating 40 years this week, reminded me how God did not make all new things. He made all things new. Things familiar to us will be vastly different. And this vision has deep roots in the Hebrew thought in Isaiah and Ezekiel and Lamentations and the Psalms. Jerusalem in all of her glorious splendor is the most important city for God's people. Its restoration would have been welcome news. But the emphasis, again, is on who is there. In Leviticus, God says this, I will make my abode among you, I will walk among you, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. So if we've been talking about the other Revelation passages, there's not going to be any more crying or death or mourning. And sometimes, I remember being a young pastor and being at Oak Glen, and Linda Adams, who's our bishop now, we had a prayer together, and I was praying, and I was like, I don't know what's happening in my life. And, and she was like, oh, Lord Jesus, we ask for you to come now. And I remember thinking, that's not what I was asking. I don't really want to go to heaven right now. <laughs> But how often now we find ourselves saying, oh, Lord Jesus, quickly come. Come, Lord Jesus, to the space where we are. Come, Lord Jesus, take us to be where you are. Because in God's presence, there's joy and healing and ultimate fulfillment. What a a picture that he's going to wipe away our tears. A tender, understanding parent who knows their child's heart, knows what they have faced There's not going to be any need for anything else because no one is going to miss their former life. Everything is going to be perfection and amazing with the Lord. 
And John says, freely from the fountain, people will have their thirst quenched. And we think about Jesus talking to the woman at the well, saying, I have water you don't know anything about. Water where you will never again thirst. It's a promise for those who put their faith in the Lord, for those who hold on through temptations and heartaches. Everything is new, restored and replaced and revitalized. New creation, new earth. Everything has been destroyed. What is old has been torn apart in the battles. And this city is not a city that's built for commerce or for the glory of mankind. And the cities we know are gritty and unsafe and a symbol of the neglect of an out-of-control humanity. But this place will never fade it will never get dirty. It will never change. It will remain the same. It is a joyous city where love reigns, where worship is in every tongue, and there is only goodness. And from the center of God, water flows through the center. But we aren't there yet. We aren't there yet. We long for this picture. This is a welcome picture. For those of us who are exhausted and tired of living in a world where we experience evil and do battle every single day. And this week I found myself in a bad place. Sometimes at our house we wake up and we're like, I'm cranky. That means don't talk to that person. That means stay far away from that person. I'm a morning person. I'm happy when I wake up. I am joyful when I wake up. And I woke up on Monday and I was like, I don't know. You can't explain it. And I was like, Lord. And I like wrote down all this stuff. Tired. Tired of the drudgery of life and how it can feel like we are in an endless cul-de-sac of old patterns and hopelessness. And I was thinking, oh, Lord, there's so much sadness and disappointment. We have frayed relationships with one another. There's so much sickness and death and brazen rebellion against you. There's so much apathy. There's a planet that's in crisis and there's war. And where are the good leaders? And we're disheartened by the widening gap between rich and poor and affordable housing and people who don't have enough to eat and sections of cities and towns across our nation that are crumbling and boarded up and pastors are lamenting how tired they are because people are leaving the faith and Christians don't look that different from the world around them because the church has become sometimes a place to fight from instead of a place to welcome in. I was like, Lord, there's a mental health crisis. What's going on with our educational system and the shootings that we don't know how to stop and the corrosive and deadly racism and a lack of community because of the pandemic and because of the political polarization over earthly ideals. So much of which has obliterated our sense of what it means to walk and live together. And then the Lord was like, well, look inward because it's not much better. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) We're tired of, I'm tired of my sin and negativity and the relational gaps that I can't seem to make come together. And we're inundated 
by pervasive over-sexualization of anything. We're addicted to substances and technology and pornography that deadens us on the inside. We don't know how to ask for help or we're unwilling to. We're motivated by our own fear and our own pride and we seek our pleasure and our own comfort more than the Lord. We're working too much. We're focusing on what makes us happy. And then I wrote these words. Church, if you aren't ready for God to make all things new, you aren't paying attention. (laughs) Oh yeah, it's a good thing you all weren't with me on Monday morning. Because it was ugly. Jesus, have mercy. Have mercy on us. In our broken down world, Jesus, have mercy on the ways that we're trying to fill the space that is meant only for you. And then the Lord said, guess what you're preaching? You're preaching on Revelation. (laughs) And I fell on my knees. The reason why the lectionary takes us to Revelation is for how these passages give us hope and comfort now. Because now we need this encouragement. We are Easter people. We believe that Christ brings eternity to our lives today. Verse 5 is in the present. See, God says, I am making all things new. Can I get an amen? Amen. God says he's already doing this work. We long for the day that we see the Lord face to face and live in a place that is not corrupted. That day is coming. But think of what the Lord is doing now. And the Lord said, Colleen, you can focus on all the bad and all the evil and you can be bitter and cynical and overwhelmed. But I have given you a world where I am active. And you are joining me in bringing that newness of life. And so church... I want you to think right now, where are you contributing to bringing new life now? Not waiting for what's going to be better in the future. Not resting on your laurels for all the good stuff you did yesterday. Think about your life and how God has gifted you and called you and nudged you and equipped you and led you and encouraged you and saved you to bring new life where you are. I think about the tiny ways our church is bringing new life through Cliff Drive, and we just got a great grant, praise the Lord, to keep that work going. You don't have to look very hard to see the church worldwide. All the ways that the church is bringing good life. And every day, I know all of you are out there planting gardens and raising children and writing truth and teaching with intention and bringing words of life and mentoring, and providing meals, and giving a helping hand, and bringing healing, and proclaiming God's word, and saving lives as first responders, and contributing to science, and research, and bringing wisdom, and grace, and peace, and fighting wrongs, and standing up for evil. And the Lord said, don't get tired of doing good, because it's going to get worse. You got to read those in between chapters of Revelation, you guys. It's going to get worse before it gets better. I hate to tell you the bad news. But like Tony Evans says, I got to prepare you. I got to prepare you because if you don't know church, I don't want you to go to God and say, well, my pastor never told me that things are going to get bad. 
My pastor never told me I got to live for Jesus today. My pastor never told me that sin. Uh-uh. Mm-mm. If you aren't helping life grow, what are you doing? Scripture is clear that we either choose life or death. And Jesus brings us redemption and commands us to go. Go. Go and bring my peace and creativity and life and joy. Go and bring my unexpected radical love wherever it is you find yourself. Those in Christ are new creations because the old has gone. Only God can bring new things. Only Jesus can take us and remake us into his image. Only the Spirit can bring transformation and hope. Only God can recreate a new universe for those who have put their faith on him, trusting in true renewal. This week, the Lord reminded me how focusing on the old is only going to cause us to be bitter and fearful. We are not made for this place. We are made for so much more. But until we get there, we have to live it out. We have to live out the tension of being discontent. We have to witness the evil that we feel helpless against. We have to wait for the Lord. And we can focus on what is wrong, all that we hate, all that we're discouraged by, or we can choose to be part of the new life that God is bringing today. So think about how God uses his splendor in this passage. He creates a safe place for people to gather. He surrounds them with his presence. He takes away their pain. He supplies their needs. He quenches their thirst. This is the God we have. This is what God is doing for us now. This is the work that God wants us to go and offer to other people. The one who's focused on the relationship that is mutual and life-giving. So let us continue to pray, to serve, to trust, to pray, to celebrate the victories that God brings us as we wait for the ultimate new day. May we be satisfied, may we be satisfied with God's abiding presence and seek him above all else. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.